Rejoice. Game week is upon us. No longer do we have to wallow in the misery that was the 2022 college football season. Hope begins anew with the 2023 season only hours away. Now, to be completely honest, last season broke me just a little bit. I was really high on the Sooners going into Brent Venables' first season, and I was not shy about voicing that enthusiasm on this show leading up to the start of the campaign last year. You know, as they say, red flags just look like flags when you're wearing crimson-colored glasses. My own insecurity about being so extremely wrong a season ago is undoubtedly coloring my thoughts going into this season. Probably a bit too much if I'm trying to be objective. Finding the middle ground between eternal optimist and cynical doomsayer can sometimes be a difficult road to hoe. However, like clockwork, I've started to come around on the Sooners as the calendar has turned to August. The kids report for practice, news starts trickling out of fall camp, and you start to form a narrative about the team in your head. And frankly, it's just a lot more fun when those narratives in your head are hopeful. Maybe Marcus Major is actually not bad and has actually been hobbled by injuries in his career to the extent where it's neutered his effectiveness. Maybe Andrell Anthony will be the number one receiver that they need from the transfer portal. Perhaps Danny Stutzman will make that leap and turn into an All-American level player. Last year, it was a disaster. But what if that's not a sign of things to come? Rather, what if last year was just necessary for the program to take the next step? What if we were just a year early in our confidence? I know which of those options is the most fun. Let's find out where it lands. The 2023 college football season is a go. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. Interception, Oklahoma! Williams! No flags! Put it on the board! Touchdown, Sooners! Just like last week, we showcase an OU defensive touchdown from the Brent Venables early years. That was Roy Williams picking off UTEP's Rocky Perez and returning it 35 yards for a touchdown back on September 2nd, 2000. The Sooners opened that magical 2000 season with a 55-14 win over the Miners. Hey everybody, welcome back to another edition of West of Everest as we inch closer and closer to the start of the 2023 regular season. Game one for Oklahoma, as Grant mentioned in his opening take, is this Saturday. We've got an 11 a.m. kickoff against Arkansas State. The game will be broadcast on ESPN, which is how I will be watching the game because I'll be spending the Labor Day weekend up north in Minnesota visiting Grant. And Grant, this will be the first time in six years that I will not be at Oklahoma's home opener. And I'd say it's bittersweet because being afforded the opportunity to go all the Oklahoma home games, it was certainly a privilege that I got working at News 9 in Oklahoma City. And now I don't have that privilege unless I want to pay to go to the games, of course, like everybody else. But on the bright side, I was trying to figure out, trying to remember, when was the last time you and I uh, watched an Oklahoma game together? Yeah, when I was looking at this the other day, sort of doing some prep, I, I had to think back, and, and honestly, I think it was 2012 Notre Dame. You know... Uh, it would have been from that really? season, probably. Oh, like, like, at, like, like when we were at the game? I think we that were at the pr- game, right? Probably was it. Yeah, that was the game we got. That was on Halloween. So 
I think actually that's not right because I'm pretty. <laughs> this isn't as fun as I thought it would be. Uh, I'm pretty sure you and I watched the Iowa State game in 2020 together. <laughs> no, we did right? not. We're, we did not. Were you in Oklahoma? We were in Oklahoma. I was just. I watched that game laying in bed. You were. I. We, there was no one around me watching that game. You weren't in the same room. The 2020 what? Iowa State game, that the COVID game. Yeah. No, they I lost. Yeah, I know. I watched that. I watched that game in my apartment in Minneapolis by myself. That I, you're probably thinking of the 2021 Iowa State game when I was in Oklahoma. Um, we made plans to watch it together, but I didn't go. You were at that. You were covering that game. Well, because our sister and her friends were in Oklahoma during that Iowa State. OU game in 2020 so you weren't here I was certainly not there I was I was trying oh. to go to that game in Ames and I couldn't because I couldn't find three other people to go with me because they had the weird you had to be you had to sit oh. in pods of four okay well I've watched the game with our sister and her friends more recently than I've watched one with you okay well sorry that's probably super boring for everyone watching watching listening honestly uh, it was probably now it, it was definitely the 2012 season it, it probably was the game where they got absolutely ripped to shreds by johnny manzel the cotton bowl well i didn't watch that one with you i was uh, i was in bemidji minnesota when that oh, game happened geez there you go i think we i think we answered our question i think it was that the 2012 notre dame game so anyways yeah so grant and i'll get to actually watch a game together which has just, yeah, clearly, as you can tell, our memories are terrible, but also it hasn't happened very much recently. All right, so let's move on to things that you all actually care about. We do know that, yes, David Stone committed to Oklahoma recently. We'll have some thoughts potentially later in the show. The depth chart came out today as we're recording this on Tuesday evening, late Tuesday night. So um, I suppose this is the time in the, the show where I – I didn't really put a whole lot of information on here. I think this is their depth chart time. And so we were texting about it a little bit earlier today. And I was very busy all day. I was around the Stillwater area working, shooting a video, and then had to. So I, I have very surface level knowledge of the depth chart. I did take a peek at it. And my main takeaways were, what, the running back spot? And where else? There was one other position, right, where it was like, why... Oh, Cheetah. Running back spot and Cheetah were kind of like the two where, uh, okay, uh, I don't know about that. And I guess you all probably know, but at running back Marcus Major or Tawi Walker are listed as starters, followed by Javante Barnes or Gavin Sachuk. And then on the defensive side at Cheetah, Justin Harrington by himself at the, uh, the number one spot, followed by Desan McCullough. So, uh, yeah, Grant, um, uh, let me just put this out there. If, if this depth chart stays the same for more than, uh, like, actually stays the same, like what we see on the field for more than a week or two, I'd be pretty surprised. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think that's kind of um, – and there's a lot of people who are really sort of questioning and, you know, what's going on at running back. Which is, I mean, yeah, I mean, this is, it, it's weird. It, it, it kind of, it, it looks really weird to see the top two guys that we assumed, Barnes and Sawchuck, being at the bottom behind Major and Walker. And, you know, hey, I, if you, if you kind of read between the lines, if you listen to what Brent Venables said at his media availability today, I, you know, it's, it's pretty easy to take from this that this is a, this is a Barnes and Sawchuck were, were banged up the entire, entirety of fall camp thing. Um, and Marcus Major and Tawi Walker were not. 
um, when talking about Tawi Walker earlier today, he said one of the things that he mentioned about him was that one of his best assets was his availability. Um, and you know, there, there's been some reports that, you know, I know Barnes had, had foot surgery in the off season. I know Sawchuck has been kind of off to the side and not going through full drills, pretty much the entire entirety of fall camp. So, um, Hey, I, I was shocked when I first saw it too. Anybody who's listening to this podcast for the last I don't know, three or four years, my, my thoughts on Marcus Major are very clear. Um, he's he's not a good player. Um, I, you know, I good for him, like I said, for, for kind of fighting through things, fighting through injuries, still being here for five consecutive seasons, it, it's, it's looking like. Um, but he's gotten plenty of opportunities in his career, healthy or not, he's not any good. And, um, I, like, I, I will say this, if Marcus Major is somehow, like, awesome this year and he's earned this and he's really good, oh, he's going to win the national championship. Because <laughs> it's so ridiculous? It, it's so ridiculous. I, he's, he's, he's just, he's, if he's a guy that OU is counting on this year for a lot of carries, that's not a good thing. Well, no, because he can't stay healthy. And, I mean, I was listening to his latest media availability from, I believe, last week, and... It's it's sad, man. I mean, he he's like legitimately just trying to get through a game healthy, a a game, not like a few games here and there. But like he made the comment of like, yeah, I just want to get like I want to get through a game healthy. That's how snake bit he's been with the injury bug so far at Oklahoma. And in my mind, yeah, like sure, sometimes people are unlucky, but I think injury prone is a real thing. If you just keep getting banged up and injured, and that's like the worst spot to be injury prone, obviously, because you get a lot of touches and you get hit a lot at running back. So I think Marcus Major has proven that he's a guy that cannot stay healthy. Uh, He can't be on the field. And on the other hand, there's some running backs who get nicked up, beat up, and seemingly never take themselves out or can always play whether or not uh, they're injured or not. And so for whatever reason in his career, he has not been able to stay healthy. He, let's see, let's think back. He, he had a, a cool touchdown run against uh, Florida in that bowl game that Florida didn't care about. He had a nice touchdown against Texas, I think, in the COVID Texas game to 2020. Uh, he scored in that game. And then he had uh, the, the ooh, you know, juke move against Kent State last year that was like, oh, maybe Marcus Majors, uh, you know, finally here. And then we never saw him or heard from him ever again after that. That's been. I mean, I guess, he got, hurt, I guess he got hurt on that run against Kent State last year. I mean, he had to have because that's the last we saw from him until yeah. he was in in an extraordinarily high leverage situation against Baylor, inexplicably, and arguably cost him oh the game. Oh my gosh! And so, it's, uh, if you're going to try to talk yourself into Marcus Major all of a sudden turning everything around, you're just like the ultimate optimist person that doesn't really take into account anything that's ever happened in the past. <laughs> I mean, how much have you watched football, whoever you are, that's going to be like, yeah, you know what? I think this is the year for him. No, like anything you get from him at this point that's positive is the definition of icing on the cake, and you're not going to expect anything. Uh, so anyways, that it's just, yeah, sure. If, if he's been available all throughout fall camp, then I guess that's a good start to his probably last year at OU, I guess. Yeah, I mean, hey, but, if he's... I mean, Hey, if, if he if he does anything this year and is like a productive player, man, I'll throw a party and dance. Yeah, me too. Because all, by all accounts, I mean, he's a good kid. I mean, nobody's ever said, like, oh, man, this guy's a jerk or, like, doesn't work hard. Like, no, like, it, no, he didn't have any of that. It's just, like, this is sports. And sometimes players aren't very good. And 
I mean, if it's because he just can't stay healthy, that's why he's not very good. Okay, then fine. Uh, everyone's wanting to see him fully healthy or at least not injured and see if he can do anything. Well, yeah, I, I'm going to be very skeptical. But Let's hey, I mean, way. but also I look at this and I say, good for Tawi Walker. It looks like he's he's carved out a co-starter role at least right at the beginning here at the end of camp. And good for him. He is a guy who in the very limited time we've seen him, it looks like a better player than Marcus Major. And I, oh, I, yeah. hope, I, I hope he's getting more carries. Anything else on the offensive side of the football that stood out to you on the depth chart? Uh, I don't recall know, anything. Not Honestly, not really. Um, Andrew Anthony being by himself at one of the wide receiver positions is, is interesting to see. Um, if you kind of you know, paid attention to any sort of the reports coming out of camp, it sounded like that top three was going to be Anthony Stoops and, and, and Farouk. And so uh, DJ Graham also making an appearance on the depth chart. I mean, he's, he's third behind Farouk and Anderson on that, you know, that side of the, uh, that side of the spectrum there. So, you know, I, I, that's kind of interesting um, on the, you know, on the defensive side with Cheetah and whatnot, you know, Harrington, that's, that's not a surprise really at all. I know you haven't been as plugged in, you know, to stuff, you know, as much this off season, but um, yeah, I mean, the Justin Harrington hype train is back and it's better than ever. So we're, we're going to see, I mean, he's, he's alone in that starting role. We'll see what happens. Yeah. I mean, similar thoughts as I have with major, we just don't have as big of a sample size with Harrington. Um, again, I mean, I like the guy every time we talked to him last year that I was around, seemed like a nice dude, enthusiastic, big team guy. But again, I said the last episode, he looked lost out there. Uh, I, Guys don't just all of a sudden figure it out. Uh, they, I'm sorry, they don't. Maybe they get a little bit better, but they don't just like turn it on and become an instant like really good starter if they look lost. Um, so yeah, I mean, it happens every now and then. Not they don't become like really really good. I, I mean, Gabe Lynn is a guy. I mean, this is over a decade ago now. Is a guy who is, I mean, who is maybe at best a replacement level player for, for OU in his first three seasons. By his senior year, he was an all big 12 guy at a really good year. Um, trying to think of other guys. Quentin Hayes was a guy like that as well, kind of around the same time frame. Um, of, you know, I, and all those guys played in the secondary as well. Uh, hey, Deshaun white, Sean white last year. That guy, yeah, sucked. Deshaun that guy sucked until last no, year. No, no, he didn't. He didn't suck. No, he didn't. He was a, he was a fine contributor on the team. he, he got a lot better in that cheater role. He didn't suck. I mean, he was playing a ton of snaps. Like, Harrington couldn't figure out a way to get on the field. I, like, I don't he know, did, man. but I mean, then he got taken off. Playing a lot of snaps on bad defenses. Oh, he didn't. No. You, from what we've seen, like, I mean, really, it was just last year because that was his only chance. And a chance that if you were just a guy that looked somewhat football savvy in the secondary, you got a shot last year because secondary was bad. And he, he got a shot, and he they look bad, like a lot of the players on the team. So, are you we'll see interested what with that. interested at all in in Gentry Williams being the guy opposite of of Woody Washington? Well, I know he was a pretty highly touted guy. That coaching staff loved him last year when his in his freshman season, and so I, I know he had that episode in the spring that hopefully he has no sort of after effects from it. Hopefully he's fine. And yeah, I mean, I know he's a, a guy that is always like was always jumping in and wanting to be the first to do everything and super enthusiastic. 
to play, and now he's going to be a starter. So, I, I mean, I'm cautiously optimistic about it. I mean, I, I think he could be a good player from what I've heard about him, and you know, we'll be able to see a little bit more on Saturday. What do you? I think? mean, you're right. You can't really. I mean, you can't really say anything until you see him play. I mean, this is the. I, yeah, I think that's especially on the defensive side of the ball here. I think, you know, there's been times where you hear some grumblings on the offensive side of the ball, like, oh, this guy's really good. And, and you can kind of pencil him in like, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty confident this guy's going to be good. On defense, you can't say that because there's not the track record. So, I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him. I think you like his size and his length too. You know, six feet, 108. He's got long arms as well, which is, which, which is obviously good for a corner. Lee, really kind of the elder other things that stood out to me um uh Peyton Bowen backing up Billy Bowman at, at strong safety is it's not surprising because you know there's there had been reports that they were playing the same position but um that's a you know that's where it's like gosh I, I you know I hope they kind of find ways to get those two guys on the field at the same time type I know, deal I know I don't love that yeah um and then also you know at free safety you got you got the or with Reggie Pearson and Key Lawrence there and so um, but actually the thing that really stands out to me at that position, free safety is Robert Spears Jennings. there being third at the free safety spot. And I know, I know Robert Spears Jennings was banged up during camp, but man, my thought with him is that that's, that's a job that you really wanted him to win outright at a camp of, of those three guys. It, like that would have been the best thing for the program, like the outlook of it. If Robert Spears Jennings just would have won that job and that clearly didn't yeah, happen. You have to be. You have to be way better though, because you got like, Reggie Pierce who transferred in, think he's going to play a lot. Then they got Key Lawrence, who's going into his third year at OU. I mean, that'd be a, a giant lift to to knock off those two guys for the starting spot. Well, yeah, that would if he were to do that, that would mean he's good. I mean, Spears Jennings was what a three star recruit. No, he was a top one. He was a big time blue chip guy. He was a top one hundred. He was. Yeah. Who am I thinking of? That was like a that was um, like a three star guy. Uh, Jaden Rowe was a three star guy. Oh, maybe that. Okay, yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. Uh, my only thought or final thought on the secondary um, is also looking at the the bottom of it, the corners. Woody Washington, Josiah Wagner, who I know is getting a lot of a lot of hype. Uh, so much for, um, but you know, below Josiah Wagner is Kenai Walker. So much for Kenai Walker. Like he was supposed to be a guy that was pretty highly touted. Came over, I think, from Louisville. We were kind of like, oh, what's he going to be last year? Very similar to Harrington, looked lost. He was out there, and now he he can't even win a like. If you're Kenai Walker coming into this year, and you know that Woody Washington's back, but the other corner spots basically wide open, in your mind, like, oh, I got to win that job, and he's he doesn't win that job, and he's third behind Woody and Josiah Wagner. So, yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and write him off. <laughs> I mean, that's probably a little premature, but. But yeah, I mean it's, yeah, it's well, the same deal. You kind of wish that those guys broken, in their man. second year that they they just win the job. They just take it. They're too good and they win the job. Um, and who knows that maybe that is the case. It just hasn't. And and, and obviously, hey, I I went back. I actually listened to our show last year with the depth chart and everything. And you're not gonna believe this, but it ended up being a lot different as the season went on. Well, yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure that's the I'm sure that you know that's the case every single year as well. This is just uh, we're star for football. We just really, really want to talk about something, and that's that's where it is. Um, other than that, man, I, you know, I think R. Mason Thomas and Rondell Bothroyd being at the same defensive end position doesn't make a lick of sense to me. But I'm sure that really won't hold. I'm sure there's, um, yeah, I just didn't make a lot of sense to me. You would think that you would want them on opposite sides, but uh, we'll see how they kind of deploy people and and how it goes. But 
Um, yeah, there's there's this thing at the top of the depth chart that even says in parentheses as of August 29th, where it's basically telling you, yeah, this is like literally we're doing this because we kind of have to. And this is what well, yeah, it the is depth chart 29th. The depth chart always change. I mean, it's never set in stone. I mean, it's um, and I don't even think they have to put one out. They just kind of do for I think it's probably for the players. I mean, the players kind of need to know where they are and where they stand. I did see uh, an interesting thing. I think in the Big Ten this year. They are you have to there's they have an injury report now in the Big Ten. No that you, way. Yeah, that you have to submit to. I'll have to look into that. I don't I don't buy that for a second. Why because the NCAA doesn't make people do it. Why would a conference make you do it? Anyways. All right, well that's the depth chart. On to the big season preview. And you know, so last year our format changed for the big season preview. And in hindsight, I think the format change we did last season was perfect for the way the season played out. <laughs> So in case you don't remember last year's big season preview show, I'm sure all of you do not remember it because, well, quite frankly, I didn't remember it until the other day when I was doing some research and I listened back and, well, I remembered, oh, hey, we changed everything. So our format was to bring up super positive narratives surrounding Oklahoma. And then Grant and I poked holes in those narratives like, you know, we were a Colin Cowherd or like a Texas fan. And uh, to remind everybody, of course, you and I, Grant, were super high in Oklahoma last year. We believed a lot of those positive narratives that were surrounding OU going into 2022. But you know what? We decided that we're going to get creative and maybe bring everybody back down to earth with our big season preview. And as it turned out, all of those positive narratives about Oklahoma were all pretty much wrong. And that meant that we were pretty much wrong about everything. And like, for example, when we poked holes in topics like OU's defense will be better in 2022. And even though Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams are gone, OU's got to be better in 2022. Well, it was a good thing we did that because uh, we should have been skeptical about those narratives because they ended up being dead wrong. And I know you listened back to some of it as well. Uh, there, was, uh, there was some good stuff, some bad stuff. Uh, I have a quote in here from you. Um, and I, don't, <laughs> I just want to read this quote. On uh, from last year's season preview on why we should change our format to argue the other side of those positive preseason narratives. You said, right now, everything feels a little too cheery, a little too positive, and that's what it was like last year, and the season sucked, and I don't want that to happen again, end quote. <laughs> well, it turns out I, the season sucked again in uh, 2022. So I don't know where we go from here. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it was. Uh, yeah, going back and listening to that before last year, it was very, uh, it was very eye-opening, kind of PTSD-inducing as well. Um, yeah, I should have. Yeah, all all the all the holes that we were poking ended up being right. We we kind of nailed it with the holes that we poked, which was it. Yeah, not didn't feel great going back and uh, and listening back to that. So a couple other bits from last year's big season preview. You know, we were talking about Jeff Lebby's offense paired up with Brent Venables as a coach. And we were saying, hey, you know, Venables defense, it may not work as well with an up-tempo offense. You know, during that show last year, you reminded us that Venables was obviously Oklahoma's defensive coordinator in 2008 when Oklahoma's offense ran a bunch of plays. And statistically, that OU defense was actually pretty good in 2008, even though it did give up a lot of points at times. So I went back and looked at the numbers. In 2008, OU averaged around 76 plays per game on offense. 
Last season, OU averaged 76 plays per game on offense. The problem is last season's Oklahoma offense was nowhere near as good as 2008, <laughs> obviously. So offenses were both very fast, except one offense was historically awesome. The other one was, was just was pretty good. I mean, statistically, it was pretty good last year. A couple other notes from last year's big season preview pod. You actually nailed Iowa State, so good on you for that. I mean, you, in the show, you said that picking Iowa State to go 5-7 and seven is being generous, and Iowa State went 4-8. and eight. So, you, I mean, you have a really good track record of picking Iowa State, I think. You're doing pretty well with the, with the Cyclones. Uh, and also, this was very depressing, and I don't know how much you got into it, but listening to last year's big season preview show reminded us, reminded me, that Stu Mandel's pick on Oklahoma was totally right, and we were dead wrong. We got like Stu Mandel was right about being. And he picked them to go seven and five, not not six and six, and he he was even wrong off by a game. Oh, it's just I have very little respect for Stu Mandel, so that was that's a tough one to to swallow. Uh, but here's the thing: season preview shows don't matter at all because probably the best quote of the entire podcast was from you grant when you said quote i'd still pick oklahoma to be the favorite in the conference if davis bevel was their quarterback end quote <laughs> uh, yeah it's um legitimately one of the most shameful things i've ever said in my life <laughs> that i didn't remember that i said until i went back and listened to it i actually like i because i that was said near the end of the podcast last year and like you, you had told me to like sort of look out for it and i'd gotten like you know, more than like half through. And I was like, ah, I think I missed it. And I'm not going to go back and listen to it. And then it popped up and I, I just cackled when I said that. <laughs> yeah. It's, I, I just, I, mean, I didn't, it, I, I did not realize that Davis Bevel would be, I don't know. I mean, the worst, the worst quarterback at the division one level. Well, I think I deserve some blame as well. It's not like I pushed back. I didn't say, wait a second, Grant, that's a terrible take. I just kind of moved on. Uh, and in both of our defenses, nobody knew that Davis Bevel was just downright atrocious at playing football. I, sorry, Davis, if you're listening to the show, I'm sure you don't. Uh, you're not good at it. And if you get a chance to play this year, something terribly wrong happened. Put it that way. Hey man, he's uh, I don't know if he minds that much. I mean, he's 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 the third string guy. He's he's third string by himself now behind. Uh Brian Arnold and, and Gabriel, and I'm sure, hey, I'm sure it's a pretty comfortable spot for him to be in, and he's, I'm pretty, pretty sure he's dating Alex Storacco, the, uh, the, cool. the softball pitcher who is, uh, who is a transfer from Michigan, and, you know, she's, she's, she's pretty good looking, so good job for Davis. <laughs> two, two very tall human beings together. You always love to see that. Well, maybe if they end up dating for a while, and if he proposes to her, and they get married, and they have a family, maybe potentially they can have a baby that's actually good at playing quarterback with those genes we'll see all right well grant i'll admit uh moving into our actual big season preview of 2023 for me it's been a media blackout for the most part i will say the last few days i have listened to a couple of ou podcasts for the first time in months but for the most part i haven't really paid much attention to the media what the fans are saying about uh about ou and I don't have a feel for what my former colleagues in the media are saying, uh, what the, the fans are saying going into the season, and I don't know. I mean, I will say I did see some comments after our last podcast on Facebook and Twitter that led me to believe that you and I may be 
somewhat of the odd men out when it comes to our wait and see approach to this season, which I'll be honest, I find kind of surprising. I kind of figured that, and maybe, maybe this is the case, but I just kind of assume that everybody out there or everybody that follows OU pretty closely is kind of like, eh, yeah, the season's starting. I love football, but also like, okay, let's see what's going to happen here. Like last year was pretty abysmal. Uh, hopefully it's better this year, but I don't know. I'm not going to get too excited. Uh, do you have a feel for what everybody else is saying about OU? Yeah, you know, I guess I don't really get the sense that everyone is like, oh, yeah, OU is obviously going to win the Big 12 championship. I don't, I don't really get that sense at all. Um, I think I, I think maybe our and not saying people took issue with it, but people may have taken issue with our tone a little bit in that one. I mean, it was I went back and listened to it. It was it was it was pretty negative throughout the the, the entire thing. Whereas I, I I guess I would say the fan base, like what the temperature is, most people are just kind of cautiously optimistic. Um, I and I think it has a lot to do with the schedule. I, I think I think kind of the general fan base looks at the schedule and thinks it's a joke. It's just a, it's a really manageable schedule and there's just not a lot of landmines there, which I think is a reasonable take. I just, I'm, it's just the forefront of my mind that that's what we thought at this exact same time last year too. Their, their schedule yeah, on paper was very weak last year as well. The, yeah, like depth charts change. Yeah. So do thoughts about the schedule, which was proven to be correct last year. Yeah. And it just, I, I it, in my wildest dreams, I did not think that early in the season, their first three Big 12 games were against by far the three best teams in the Big 12. Like, by far. Like, not even close. Kansas State, who ended up winning the conference, and I think everyone kind of forgets this because they won the conference, they got physically manhandled and dominated by Tulane the week before. They they beat OU. Oh, yeah. I think everyone kind of forgets about that. And so even going into that game, everyone was thinking, like... I think everyone thought that Tulane was, like, pretty pretty okay, like a pretty good G5 team, but... They kind of kicked the crap out of Kansas State. Not really on the scoreboard, but physically they did. And everyone was just kind of like, uh, you know, that wasn't a problem for OU in the first three games. If anything, they were physical in the first three games, OU was. And everyone was just like, ah, I think they're probably about to rough up Kansas State at home. And then, of course, no one saw TCU coming. Um, and then, you know, the Texas stuff is just kind of a wash because of because of the yeah. circumstances surrounding that game. So, um yeah, I, I just I, I don't think anybody saw that coming, and I guess that's kind of got my antennas up this year too. For like, where could that also happen? So, last year we changed the format of the big season preview. We brought up a bunch of narratives and then poked holes in it. The format this year for the big season preview, I just have a bunch of questions, a bunch of questions that nobody knows the answers to, which is why this is fun because we can predict what the answers will be, but. They're questions that we're not going to know the answer to until, I don't know, the end of the season. Some other questions may be answered before the end of the season. We'll see. And so I will start with this, and it's a, a huge theme on this podcast. Last year, before last year, uh, heading into this year, the question is, offensively, will the tempo, will the style change? Grant, what say you? I think if you've listened to every like listened to anything that's come out, like yeah, it's it's going to change to what extent, to what degree. I don't think we know yet. Um, like I, I don't necessarily expect a major overhaul. I don't think they're going to like they're just going to drastically cut the amount of plays that they have in a game. Um, I, I just I I still expect to be frustrated by the tempo at times this year. I really do, but it does sound like there is 
there is definitely an awareness from Brent Venables, or at least he's more cognizant of the bad spots that it put put them in last year, especially the defense. And so I, I, I do think they're at least going to try to pay lip service or at least try to make it better. Um, and if you go by the Cheez-It Bowl last year, they'd already made some positive adjustments, probably not as, as much as I would like, but they did not go as fast in the Cheez-It Bowl as they did the, you know, the rest of the year. And another thing to think about, Lee, is do the new clock rules make it just not, that, not as big of a deal? Because you know, the, the clock is not stopped on first down anymore. Yeah, that's a good point. We haven't talked about that yet. I, I'll be honest. I didn't watch really at all anything this past Saturday. There wasn't very very many games. I watched a little bit of the highlights of the USC game, so I don't know. I didn't get a feel at all for if that was a big difference in these games. I don't know. If, it um, did you get it cut? I think what it did it cut plays, and this is going by a really small sample size. You compare it to twenty twenty two, each each team had about eight less plays per game so essentially you can cut off a drive about a drive and a half is what it is what it cut off but the telecast was virtually the exact same length and so (laughs) that's kind of what everyone is talking about now whereas like yeah we got just less football more commercials which i hope that's not the case i hope that's a small sample size and because if that is actually what it is i don't like that i don't really know if there's anything you can do about it but i don't like it yeah, because then, like, what's the point? I mean, I guess the idea is uh, if there's fewer plays, there's fewer chances for players to get injured, player safety, whatever. I mean, I guess throw that. But, I mean, uh, the biggest story in well, – I shouldn't say the biggest story. One of the biggest stories in, in, of the year, certainly the biggest story in baseball, has been the rules, the clock rules, and it's been a huge success. Massive so, success. I, Just yeah. a, it's, it's insane how much more watchable that makes Major League Baseball. So to answer the question, the offensive tempo, I say no. I, I don't think it's going to change. I mean, sure, maybe here and there. But the way I look at it, Jeff Levy does what Jeff Levy does. I, I mean, offensive coordinators are, are stubborn. They run their stuff. Um, his offense is reliant on tempo. That's how they practice. That's what they do. I went back and looked at the last five years from Levy, two at UCF, two at Ole Miss, one at Oklahoma. His offenses, has, his offenses have averaged – 77 plays a game for context Lincoln Riley's offenses have averaged 68 plays per game the last five years so nine fewer per game and as we know Oklahoma's defenses under Lincoln Riley were not good you know save for the 2000 defense the 2020 defense uh, in a season that didn't count in my opinion because of the COVID stuff and that's it's it was weird so even Lincoln Riley going much slower on offense scoring a lot of points by the way they're very efficient, but they went slower. OU still couldn't play good defense most of the time. I get that Brent Venables is supposed to fix that, but after one season of this Venables defense, Jeff Levy offense mix, it showed us that Venables needs some help from the offense, as in like maybe hold on to the ball longer, keep the defense off the field. But I don't think that's in Levy's DNA. Since he's been an offensive coordinator, his offenses routinely rank near the bottom of college football in time of possession. Last season, Oklahoma was fifth worst in the nation in time of possession. And I saw this. Interestingly enough, Tennessee was second to last. But it worked out for them. They went 11-2, and and they beat Alabama. So Josh Heupel kind of had it figured out, at least for one year. So I think this topic is the most interesting storyline this season. Like, is Britt Venables going to rein in Jeff Levy? 
And best case scenario, it's not necessary because everything clicks on offense and this team is is much improved on both sides of the ball. It just doesn't matter. But if we get a similar inconsistent Oklahoma offense like last year and an Oklahoma defense that hasn't made that much of a jump, I'm curious to see if Brent Venables gets a bit antsy with Lebby's style. Uh, because uh, to your point, you have the cheese at bowl. Oh, you actually won time of possession. So maybe in that bowl game, it was a little bit better. Uh, but that's one one game, one off, a month to prepare. Uh, I don't know. I well, I, think I mean, I, the reason I bring up does. the Cheez-It Bowl is because, I mean, they were going the entire season, the first 12 games, warp speed, warp speed, not even thinking, like, it, you know, the product on the field, it didn't even register to them that it's maybe potentially a problem. They just kept doing it and going and going and going. Where in the Cheez-It Bowl, there was a very clear difference where they were trying to, they were trying to be better with it. At least that's okay. how I felt while watching the game. Like, I thought it was, it was kind of night and day. Um, I have I have memories of, of us kind of thinking that things were different, but really, as you watch more, th- like kind of deciding that, nah, I don't think it was that much different. But and it's we'll not see. and like this I guess super interesting. And yeah, and if you're if you're awesome and you're you're constantly just having positive successful plays, it goes fast as you want. Sure, but I I think my my theory, the thing that I'm I'm worried with, is that that offense and how you practice it, that makes it so you can't really be that awesome at it. It's <laughs> because you're not, you're not thinking enough, you're not precise, you're not thinking about situations. You're just thinking about going fast, going fast, going fast, going fast. If you're going fast, it has to be really simple as well. Let's stay on the offensive side of the ball for our next unanswered question. Will Jackson Arnold play significant snaps in 2023? And I'll define significant I'd say that means he's starting some games. Like he's starting some games this year. And so I'll go, I'll go first. I'll say, I'll say no. I'll, I, I say Dylan Gabriel, he's a veteran. Uh, it's his second year, third total season in this offense. He's the guy. He's going to start as long as he's healthy for this team. And I was listening uh, one of the, the few pods I listened. I did listen to, to Teddy and Gabe uh, comment on their podcast in the last week or so that they'd like to see Jackson Arnold get some series like in the middle of these early non-conference games, like just throw them in there. And so my, my thought on that is if they think Jackson Arnold is good enough to be taking snaps in meaningful games, like during meaningful times of the game, then just, just have him play, have him start. Like, let's get on with this. Um, and, unless I guess the idea is that they want him to get some action, get him in there, see what he looks like. And if he looks like a dud, then I guess maybe, you can hold him out long enough to hold on to his, to his red shirt, but I guess that doesn't matter. Doesn't make any sense because he's the backup quarterback. So, so I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I in a perfect world for us, I think, and OU fans, like in a non-perfect world for Dylan Gabriel, Jackson Arnold is an elite player right now, and Brent Venables knows that. And Arnold is starting for Oklahoma for like the rest of the season after September. Uh, but I just you know. I don't know if that's going to happen. Obviously, that's that's I'm sure that's unlikely to happen. Um, but anyways, I I just don't see him playing a lot of meaningful snaps unless Dylan Gabriel gets injured. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's completely reliant on just sort of the script of the season and what happens. Um, like, I mean, after last year, I don't think it's super unreasonable to expect Dylan Gabriel to be banged up at one point in time. No, it's not. It's not. So, I, although I did fact, look back, and in fact, uh, it's a pretty good bet. I think it's a pretty good bet that DG is going to be banged up uh, just not even just last year over the course of his career as well. Um, but I guess, you know, I mean, 
Yeah, maybe. But yeah, you bring up a you bring up an interesting point. Are they gonna like are you gonna try to get him in during like relatively low leverage situations against opponents with a pulse? I don't I don't really I can't think of a situation like that working out really that well for anybody. Um, well, I, I, I'll admit I was listening to another one of the podcasts. I listened to Sooner Scoop guys, and George brought up, uh, and I should have done research on this. And I, that's it's a it's obvious, and I, I've thought about this, but I didn't actually dig into the the game logs. He he mentioned, of course, Trevor Lawrence's first year uh, when he ended up he wasn't starting over Kelly Bryant, but then they benched Kelly Bryant and brought in Trevor Lawrence. And George mentioned that. Trevor Lawrence was getting some snaps, like some meaningful snaps in some of those early games that year. Uh, I mean, I, I guess I can trust him. He's a, he's a good reporter. Um, but, I mean, if that's – I mean, and Venables was around. So, it's like if we start seeing that, if Arnold does take some snaps, is that an indication that Brent Venables is like, man, this, uh, this Jackson Arnold kid's – I think he's pretty good. Like, I don't, I'm not going to say he's as good as Trevor Lawrence, but – like, eh, he, he's sneaky enough good to where I, I need to see him play because if we're showing that we're a pretty good team through three or four games and an upgrade at quarterback would actually put us over some other hump and that could be Jackson Arnold, maybe I want to see it. That'd be a pretty cool sign. It would be. I mean, that would mean that OU's defense is really good. Mm-hmm. And um, and it means – and, like, yeah, let's, like, let's just kind of throw the hypothetical out there. Let's say OU's defense takes a huge step. Let's say they take a – a Texas step from 21 to 22 like step, which was large. Texas finished like, and I, I go, I go by SP plus Texas finished like in the eighties in SP plus and, and 21 kind of like where OU is like at the end of last season. And they jumped into the top 20 last year. A, that's a massive jump for them. If OU does that this year and let's say OU's offense is kind of exactly what it was last year, but Dylan Gabriel's healthy they're still moving the ball, but still kind of struggling situationally every now and then. But their defense has gotten so much better that they're still able to separate and they're still winning these games. Um, then, yeah, you can talk me into a situation maybe where it's like, okay, let's see what Jackson Arnold has and let's see if he can kind of unlock this offense a little bit. Um, I mean, that's, that's a great problem to have. I, just, I think it's kind of an apples to oranges comparison because the whole bit with Clemson and Trevor Lawrence was that, remember Trevor Lawrence at that time big the biggest high school recruit ever in the history of recruiting um and also Clemson was just two years removed from winning a national title and they had a very clear national title like roster and every and the question going to that season was always like uh well is Kelly Bryant gonna hold hold back this amazing national title roster though and I don't you know I, I don't think you can make that same argument now hey, like Great. Hey, may, yeah, maybe Marcus Major will come out of nowhere and he's amazing and they're going to win a national title this year. Just because if that's the case, we just have, <laughs> we, have, we, we have a horseshoe up our butt and everything's going to be great. But, like, I, I don't know if I necessarily see that. I think I, my, my position on that remains the same. If, if Jackson Arnold can, if Jackson Arnold gives you the highest ceiling to perform right now and you know that as a true freshman, he should be starting and taking every single snap. But, like, that's. Probably that's not the case. That's not the case. I, you know, he, he's a true freshman. So I'm looking back at that 2018 Clemson season, and uh, you know that was uh, that was Trevor Lawrence's first year, and Kelly Bryant was there. They had one game, like some like played Furman, and then that's what the their second game is when they played A and M in College Station. And looking back at that game, great game. I remember watching that game. 
uh, parts of that game. And Kellen Mond actually looked really good in that game. That might have been his best best game ever in college. <laughs> I remember, like, really good defense. Uh, and I'm looking back at the game log, and, and Kelly Bryant and Trevor Lawrence both played in the game. So they were already, like, game two, they were already going like back and forth between Bryant and Lawrence. And it looks like after that game, Trevor Lawrence basically took over. And this is also, I mean, this is also really different in the sense that, and I, like, I don't say this lightly because everyone kind of knows how I feel about Dylan Gabriel. Dylan Gabriel is a lot better than Kelly Bryant. Oh, yeah. Like a lot oh, yeah. better. Kelly Bryant is a, was a legitimately bad college quarterback. He was awful. Granted, I'm not allowed to have quarterback opinions, but then again, that's an old quarterback. Like that's a, that's an old opinion. So I think it still counts. It's, I mean, that's, it's a good opinion. I mean, Kelly Bryant transferred to Missouri for like his, his super senior year. And I'm pretty sure he lost the job almost immediately after like (laughs) September. Yeah. All right. Next question. We're going to go to the defensive side of the football. You just mentioned the defense. So good transition. Will Oklahoma's defense improve by at least 40 yards per game, like fewer yards, f- 40 fewer yards allowed per game, and or a half yard per play in a season? And um, I came to those numbers based off of Clemson's improvement from 2012 to 2013. Clemson improved by 40 yards, total yards, and they knocked, I mean, they actually knocked off point six yards per play so even more than a half a yard between one season what were they so Grant, last year in yards per play oh you yeah uh, let me double check i think they were like 5.75 i believe so if they cut that down to about 5.2 this year or five point or five and a quarter that's i mean that's that's pretty decent improvement um i think i think the 40 yards per game i think that's that's a pretty good bet I think just with the clock changes, if there's oh, if, yeah. if, if if you're on the field for less for you know for two possessions or less a game, I think, I think that I think those, I think, I think the yardage total on is going to go down for everybody. So yeah, five point seven five yards per play, uh, and my gosh, OU yards per game allowed on average, four sixty one. One of the worst defenses by total defense in the country. So. Uh, yeah, so my, my answer is similar to yours. Like, they better improve by at least 40 per game. I mean, at 461 last year, if you know, that, that was 10th worst in college football, a 40-yard improvement is still bad. <laughs> it's, like, it's still bad yeah. overall. No, for sure. But, I, I mean, I, I still think just with last year, and I, I know we talked about this last week too, but um, I don't know. I, 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 think, I think at worst, I think I – think the defense last year compared to the year before was a wash and the defense compared to the year before had like five NFL draft picks on it. I don't know, man. I, th- I know you like SP plus, but I mean, maybe that's what you're basing it off of, but I think last year's defense was worse than the defense b- the year before. I mean, statistically like raw stats, it, it was, uh, yards, per play, yards, it was per-, yards per play. It was, it was like identical. Yeah. That's and true. they also and last year's defense also was top five in the country in tackles for loss, which they still, which they still sucked and everything. But like yeah. I think, but I, what I'm saying is maybe there was marginal, maybe there was marginal improvement there where OU's defense in 2021 was still bad with NFL players on it, 
And then the next year, I don't know how many NFL players they have on it. Hopefully, Danny Stutzman is is one is probably maybe the only one. Billy Bowman too, but he you know was banged up a lot of the year. Um, and they, I don't know. I think they were. They, it was kind of a wash. I feel like the the raw the raw you know the raw yardage stats would have been similar for twenty twenty one if OU was running that many plays. Like they, yeah, like, probably. Think of twenty one. Like they could not get off the field. That defense sucked. Oh no, like the. It wasn't good, but the defense last year wasn't good either. I mean, they had a couple of good stretches against Iowa State, against a bad offense, and uh, maybe like the first half against Florida State kind of into the year. And they had some good stretches against like West Virginia. What I will say is when they played a bad offense last year, they largely held them in check. That was not the case for 2021 (laughs) and that Alex Grinch defense. Um, All right, so let's see. Next question. Will Oklahoma be a better team after halftime? In other words, will Brent Venables and his coaching staff be better at coaching in-game? Well, uh, this is not the most fun answer. Uh, I don't, I'm not going to take much of a stand here. I, all I got is I hope so. <laughs> like, this is a true unanswered question. Like, it's a guess. Like, I want to see Brent Venables be better. I want to see him not waste timeouts in really dumb spots. Like, I went back and kind of looked at some of those, for example. Cheez-It Bowl. Midway through the third quarter, OU up by six points, 17 to 11. Uh, One score game, and they burned a timeout on defense because Florida State was going no huddle, and they managed to get into the red zone. So they call timeout in a close game, and then a few plays later, they gave up a touchdown. So they wasted a timeout in a situation where Based on the way the drive was going, they were likely to give up points anyways. It's like sometimes it's like, well, this is probably going to happen. I'd rather save my timeout. That's what I would be thinking if I was a coach uh, because you can't figure this out. So they waste the timeout and they give up the touchdown. And then later that quarter, OU used a timeout on offense on fourth and six. They were in no man's land. And then they didn't convert. So they wasted, they called two timeouts and they had nothing to show for it in the third quarter. That was a cheese at bowl. Uh, and then late in the game, Florida State was running the clock. So, like, Oklahoma would have loved to have at least one extra timeout. Could have saved them about 20 seconds or so. Uh, in that last drive of the game, they had, like, a minute, a minute, minute 20, minute 25, a lot different than a minute. So, I mean, it's just every second counts at the end of the game. Uh, and that that's just stuff like that. There was another one against Baylor. Uh, Venables used a timeout on defense early in the fourth quarter again against Baylor OU was down by a field goal early fourth quarter on defense using a timeout and you want to know what happened the rest of the drive uh Baylor went on to score a touchdown and take a 10-point lead so I just I I just don't get it I timeouts on defense are so stupid I don't like it so hopefully he gets better at that but this is a true unanswered question Grant what do you think well I mean he's Venables is kind. Of, he's kind of winning the talking point game with this. He 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 talked about this pretty extensively in his media availability today, um, where they said he said essentially they took a really hard look at all situational stuff, and he mentioned when to call timeouts, when to go for it on fourth down, when to punt in your own territory, when the other person's territory, um, stuff like that. They really looked into it, and they they went through all of their decisions and. He said that today in his media availability. So okay, good. Um, that kind of makes me think about um, 
a talking point from the the, the twenty one season. Lee was Dave Aranda like radically changed his repro- uh, approach at Baylor from twenty 2020 twenty to twenty twenty one with analytics with like fourth downs and like all of that stuff. And I, I'm kind of wondering if if Venables has maybe done the same thing. I know I know Aranda and that staff they hired like an outside consultant firm to basically come in and tell them when when to do things. They made him a book essentially. Like as in, this is when you do these things, um, and I'm curious if, if maybe they've done the same thing. Um, if okay, well, good. If that's the case, that I mean, that's I, I don't I, I I do think that some of it there is kind of a feel for some of it as well. That's just sort of intuitive and not necessarily you can have a book. I think majority of the time, if you go by the book, that you'll probably catch up with the statistics. But also, man, I last year, and this is. This is squarely just with like the fourth down decisions. I felt like they pretty much made the right call to go for it on fourth down every single time last year, and they still really were really bad in situations like that. Yeah, I know. I don't recall having a whole lot of problems with their like when do they go, when do they not go on fourth down. I I just distinctly remember the timeouts being a huge issue for Venables. But you know, forgive me if I. We'll take everything he says with a grain of salt because he won the talking points, the messaging battle going into the season last year. He said all the right things. I loved it. But there's always the caveat of like, well, you know, talk is cheap. Let's see it happen on the field. And oh, you went six and seven. Next question. We'll go and we're going to start getting into kind of the nitty gritty here. I got some hard got some hard uh, some hard questions for certain people on the on the coaching staff and maybe the roster that don't want to hear these questions. Will we know by the end of this season if Jeff Lebby is the right guy for offensive coordinator? Yes or no, Grant? Yes, we will. And so I, it's hard to kind of really like nail down what like a marker would be, like how you would, you know, how you would, how you would determine this. But I, I think if, if the offense improves year over year, like if we watch the product and we're like, yes, this offense is better than it was last year. I think we're all going to feel pretty good going into next year, especially with like a majority of, of like the core of everyone coming back plus Jackson Arnold. So that was like that. That was what I said. last. I mean, what I said last week, too, is if we come out of this season and we feel really good about Jackson Arnold, Javante Barnes, Gavin Sachuk and Jacquez Petaway, or maybe or also maybe even one of Jaden Gibson or Nick Anderson, I think everyone's going to feel pretty good going into next year. That's good. I think that's a good answer. For me, I'm not as steadfast. I, I think it's, it's unclear. I'm, I'm taking the middle ground because I think it depends on if we see Jackson Arnold play a lot of snaps. Because like, you got to give Levy credit for getting Jackson Arnold. That's his guy. Um, and we all have high hopes for him. So if Dylan Gabriel plays well enough to keep his job all season long and Arnold doesn't play a lot, we may not know really if Levy is the right guy or not. Uh, in my mind, like if the offense is better than last season, like you said, it's more efficient, more consistent, helps the defense out at times, all with Dylan Gabriel, then yeah, that's that's your clear answer. Yes, he's the right guy. He's pretty good, I think. But I don't know. We may not have the full answer on Levy until we see him calling plays for Jackson Arnold, just because I, I mean, and on paper, he's supposed to, you know, be, he's a more talented player. He's more highly recruited than Dylan Gabriel. He's a little bigger. Um, probably got a stronger arm. So, I mean, I mean, if it's bad, I mean, the offense is bad. I think that means we'll probably see Arnold. Arnold will probably get a shot and then we'll kind of figure it out. So I guess to your point, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe, maybe we will know no matter what happens. 
Actually, I talked myself into it. Yeah, and and if the offense it takes a step back, that's all you need to know. That's what I kind of think is like if the offense takes a step back, they got to go to Arnold to see what they got in him to see if he can be the guy to fix it, right? I mean, so then maybe you get a chance to see him. But it's like, do they, do they get actually move on from the guy who recruited Jackson Arnold? Probably not. So, but also, I mean, it's tough yeah. to. I mean, when when Dylan Gabriel was fully healthy last year, yeah, Jeff Levy was pretty good at at drawing up plays that worked. True. I, I mean, I think I think that's that's pretty clearly the case. And you know, they 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 ran the hell out of the ball last year. They ran the ball so well last year. They just unfortunately were not ex- extraordinarily explosive. That would have helped a lot if they had just kind of a home run guy back there. Uh, but that's not what they had in Eric Gray. They had just had a really, really good, solid college football running back instead. So um, we'll see. I, I think there's a lot of things that go into this. Um, I think a lot of people are probably going to be looking at the development of Dylan Gabriel this year as sort of like a marker for that or as a, as a guidepost for that. But I think it's more of like, can Jeff Lebby understand what the offense does well? And can he tailor his offense around that? Like if it's clear that Javante Barnes and Gavin Sachuk are like our dudes and they're just breaking off chunk runs and and you know and Jeff Lebby doesn't orient his offense around that, then maybe that's a red flag. Maybe. And I guess to be clear, and I just said something a little bit ago, like kind of inferring that maybe if OU's not good on offense, maybe they would move on from Lebby. I no, that's not gonna happen. I mean, I think it's just kind of the same thing as Venables. Like I think Venables has this year and next year. Like they're not gonna move on from Lebby even if it's not that great, because going into a new conference, quarterback he recruited, I don't think that's going to happen. It's just we might kind of know if it doesn't go well, even though they're not going to move on from him, we might kind of have our answer like, oh, okay, this, they, this may not be great, and we're going to need a miracle in year three in the SEC. And, and that's, you know, this is probably one of those conversations that, like, national guys, they, they would probably think that we're insane. Um, just like, oh, Jeff Lebby, this guy is one of the best offensive coordinators in the country. Oh, yeah, I'm sure they would. Um, It's a stylistic thing. They they massively underachieved on that side of the ball last year. Massively. So it's all about situational football, man. And, I I mean, again, in in the offense's defense, and we've used this a lot, I mean, the defense was bad. I mean, the defense did not help them a lot of the time. But there is time. I mean, complimentary football, gosh, that gives you PTSD, right? the term complimentary football that was like the fa- the favorite thing of Lincoln Riley and I was like I, isn't that like did, isn't it kind of funny like I and this is like when you said all of that stuff I just I just got like this this massive flash in my head of of Bedlam from last year which was a game that the defense won almost single-handedly they that was that well, was a the, game in yeah, after the w- first quarter after the first <laughs> right. quarter that is yes whereas yeah. like where it's so crazy, we actually saw in the final three quarters of that game, we actually saw worst case scenario for Jeff Lebby offense. And in one of like the most fitting bouts of like irony ever, the defense actually comes through and bails him out. Insane. Yeah, we gotta thank uh, Oklahoma State as well, though, for being just abysmal at that time. I mean, they got Oklahoma State at a great time. That is true. Yeah. O- bad. They were bad football. so bad. Yeah, Mike Gundy completely <clears throat> lost that team at the end of last year, and. Uh, I mean, we'll talk about this kind of when we get to more of the Big 12 stuff, but a lot of people really talking themselves into Oklahoma State being like the sleeper, and, and it all has to do with just like track record and Mike Gundy, hmm. um, which I, I think it's an interesting conversation. I'm excited to have it. 
Well, let's see. I might go ahead and flip-flop these next questions just considering we just did Jeff Levy. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to flip-flop it. Yeah. So I'm gonna, uh, the next one, I mean, you might, based on what I just said, that you probably see where this is going. How about this? Does our guy Ted Roof last a full season uh, here, uh, last the, the full 2023 season? And uh, in context here, this is the first time since 2017 that Ted Roof has been on a job for more than one year. Right now, Ted Roof is on one year plus at OU. At least, like, let's do one one season plus. So this is the first time, this, you know, in, in what, six years where he's actually held a job for longer than a season? Does Ted Roof <laughs> make it through 2023? Uh, yeah. But, what do you I think? mean, if he if he doesn't, that means Brent Venables is shortly gone after him. If 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 Ted Roof gets fired during the season, that means OU is bad again this year. Oh right, okay, well, and that and that means well, yeah, Brent I, Venables is going to get fired pr- probably pretty soonly after that as well. Soonly, well, he, soon <laughs> soon after that. Well, I mean, again, he's he he, he ain't going to get fired uh, before. The, the first season in the SEC, unless OU goes like two and 10 this year. So, I mean, unless they have like, honestly, six and seven again, eh, you're kind of thinking about it, right? Like, eh, eh, I don't, I, I don't want to talk about that now. But yeah, I mean, we're talking about a hypothetical of Ted Roof losing his job during the season. That means they're bad. <laughs> that means they're bad again. Yep. And, and that means he's just the, he, I mean, I yeah the, the the Ted Roof stuff is and there's a I, I have a thing later in, in in the show about this as well. Um, this still a head scratcher to me. The guy should not be on the staff, and I just it's like I get it. I understand the reasoning. He's the only like he he trusts him to implement a system. Yada yada la di da di da. Dude's just not a just not a just doesn't have a good track record at the college level. I like I don't know what else to say. You know, wasn't the theory when he was hired? That was like the one hire that Venables made. Where at, at first we were like, okay, and then we kind of looked into it, and it was like, what? What is this? This doesn't make any sense. And then it was like, oh, maybe he's just the fall guy. For if things go bad, then he's an easy guy to cut loose. But I think it's pretty clear. I mean, from my experiences being around the team last year and being around Roof and Venable, I mean, they're they're buddies. Like, I mean, Venables likes Roof. I mean, Roof's everyone likes Ted Roof. He's a good. I mean, that's why he keeps getting jobs because everyone he's a good dude. He's cool to hang out with. He's like, oh, there's Ted. I just right, I don't understand. Roofer. I don't know. The whole thing is just I I, I wish I kind of knew more about the inside baseball of this because yeah, that's great. I don't understand why then give him give him one hundred fifty k a year to be an analyst on the staff. I, that's what he was uh, with with Clemson, and then uh, before coming over to OU, I like <laughs> I I know that there's young talented defensive coordinators at G five places that are can can do a lot better than Ted Roof, and like I just. Ted Roof being the defensive coordinator when while while Jim Leonard is sitting at home alone is like I I know he's I know he's got an analyst job but like I, does OU hold themselves to a higher standard? Yeah, but my I mean this is I think I've said this before to you. I mean, to me Venables wants a guy who's not even going to think about like one-upping him, going rogue, like doing a different type of system. Like Venables that's his system. Like that—that's why he's not going to get some up-and-coming young dude. Is that a red I mean, flag then? Maybe, maybe. Yeah, I don't. I mean, you got Brandon Hall on staff, who who's a safeties coach, who used to be a DC at Troy. So I mean, he's got that—that 
that background. You know, maybe he's kind of the the obvious next. next I guess technically Todd Bates is also a co DC. Um, but I mean, the defense goes. You know, defense plays like it did last year. Oh, you go six and seven again. I mean, yeah, like you get your sacrificial Ted Roof dismissal, probably. But then again, like Venables and coaches, and not just Venables, like coaches don't like to admit that they were wrong about a hire. I mean, it's been only a year plus since he brought his coaching staff in. Like, no, no head coach, especially first time head coach, wants to make that you know admit that mistake soon. I mean, so it's it's a. Uh, it's it's a mess. We all kind of shrugged our shoulders at Ted Roof because it's like in our mind he's kind of there, but it's Brent Venables' defense. So, but like what what he brings to the table doesn't seem to be anything particularly special. Well, based the, on what the defense we saw last, last year played like a like a typical Ted Roof defense over the course of his career. <laughs> like, am I wrong? No, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure we have one or two podcasts back in the day when he was hired where we went very in-depth on his, his coaching history and everything, and it's, it's not good. It's not great. Well, that brings us to our next question. Will we know by the end of the season if Brent Venables is the right man for this job at Oklahoma? I'll go ahead and take this one first, Grant. I think the answer to this question is yes, we will know. If he goes six and seven or seven and six, or God help us worse than that, then yeah, we have our answer that Venables is not the guy long term. That would mean back to back seasons of severely underperforming expectations. Of course, on the flip side, OU goes nine and four. Uh, you know, that's that's a holding pattern for me. That's pretty good. You know, that's it's a it's a great sign, actually. Three game improvement. Uh, but also, you know, nine wins that would fall below the expected season win total of nine and a half. So still slightly underwhelming based on this schedule we think is bad, which it is on paper. Uh, if Oklahoma wins 10 games in the regular season, then when the bowl game finishes 11 and two, something like that. Uh, and let's just get even even sweeter. Say one of those wins is over Texas avenging, you know, avenging last year's horrible loss. Then uh, that's a great sign. That we got something here with Venables, things are looking up, uh, especially if it's something where Oklahoma turns, you know, maybe they turn those close losses from last year around and they win close games this year or even better, they don't even play close games. They just blow people out. They just roll and it's not competitive. So, yeah, I think by the end of this season, Grant, we're going to know if he's the guy. I think maybe a more precise question would be what do you need to see to tell you that he's the guy by the end of the season? Because I, I I think it's pretty easy to answer where if they like yeah if OU goes seven and five this year if they go six and six in the regular season again I'm going to be pretty comfortable saying he's not the guy. Um, if they go nine and three, I'll probably be back to well I'm not really sure. If they go t- if they go twelve and one and they win the Big Twelve championship game and they they kick a lot of ass over the course of the year, then yeah I'm be pretty confident that he's the guy. But it's 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 not even necessarily wins as to like. What if they go eleven and two, but it's an eleven and two that was similar to the twenty twenty one season where they just they just it was obvious they weren't an eleven and two type team and they just got bailed out by Caleb Williams over and over again or by Nick Benito over and over again. Um, I think that'd be the equivalent of you know going nine and three in the regular. You know, it's kind of you're at a holding pattern. Like you had a huge improvement in the win column, but also you're you, know, you have eyes and you saw the way they won certain games. Like basically, what you're saying is like a reverse of last year where. They lost all these close games, but 
they didn't play all that well, obviously, because they lost. But like now let's say they flip the script and they win a bunch of close games. But old, like overall, the team wasn't really all that great. I mean, very similar to 2021, like you said. Then yeah, I think you're kind of like, yeah, that was good. Big improvement. Still, still not sure, though. Got to, I mean, it's, it's better than six and seven, but there's still, if you want to look real close and you want to get some nuance in there, there's still some holes. For sure. So, yeah, I mean, we're going to, I, I, we're obviously going to know a lot more about it. If, you know, if they, if, if they don't win, you know, nine games this year or double digit games this year, then yeah, I think people are going to probably be really skeptical about the direction of this thing. All right, time for us to be huge jerks. We're going to call back similar. uh, Well, not similar. That's the wrong word. We're going to call back to the beginning of the podcast when we talked about the depth chart somewhat. (laughs) And I posed this question in the rundown before the the initial depth chart even came out. But this is kind of stemming from our last show. And again, I wanted to be uh, jerks on the, uh, the big season preview. Next question. Who are we more certain is an absolute non-factor between these three veteran players? And you can rank them. I'm going to rank them as far as like who we for sure know is a total non-factor to like, yeah, maybe maybe there might be something here if I had to, you know, pick somebody to, to do something. And you wrote this prompt before the depth chart came out. I want to. Yes. I want to yeah. note. Yeah. Marcus Major. Justin Harrington. Key Lawrence. How are we and ranking these? Is, is number one the most likely to be a non-factor? Correct. Correct. Here's how I and would rank them. Okay. One, actually, I'll, I'll start at the bottom. Number three, I think the most likely to be a factor this season is Justin Harrington. Um, he is the guy that we have seen the least amount of, of these three. And he is also, it's, as in, you haven't been as plugged in, but it's, He's a guy, essentially, he has been a, a bona fide starter on the defense for essentially the last, like, six months. It's, it's been, he's been, he's basically been, you know, been penciled in as a guy there. Um, so I think he is the most, he's going to be the biggest factor of those three this year. Um, in the middle, I will put Marcus Major there. Um, just because, hey, he's, he's there. He's at the top of the depth chart, man. Like, clearly, if he, if he stays healthy, and man, it, it hurts for me to say this. If he stays healthy, he's clearly going to get carries. I don't know why, but there you go. Um, number one of those is Key Lawrence. I I just I'm I just don't see it. I think he's a guy who just is. We we've seen he's the guy that we've seen the most of from this. And uh, I think I'm probably I just I'm thinking about back in 2021 when they didn't really know what to do with him and they just basically moved him around to try to plug different holes everywhere. Um, I, he's, he looked by far the best in his career when he was playing corner in 2021. And, it, and there was, he still wasn't great doing that. Like, clearly made a lot of mistakes and was very raw. Um, but, man, I, I, don't, I don't know if I can go an entire season again of watching him come downhill from the safety position and just whiff on tackles and him just dropping interceptions that hit him right in the hands. I can't, I can't do it, man. Can't do it. I think there's uh, very good rankings, very good reasons for each one of them. Mine's different. Uh, my number one, most likely to be a non-factor is Marcus major, just because he's been a non-factor his entire career. And I'm ba- basing it off of that. Uh, we've seen him a lot. He can't stay healthy. Always a letdown. Sorry, man. Like anything we get from him, 
as long as he's healthy, it's just a, it's a bonus. So Marcus Majors, number one for me. Uh, number two for me is Justin Harrington. Uh, I saw enough of him last season. He's not very good. He tries hard. He's a good team guy. Uh, don't think he gets it. I'm shocked what you said about how he's been like a penciled-in starter for this long. That is a red flag. That is not good unless he has just, I don't know, like changed – like, I don't even know. Like, is he now Roy Williams? Like, did Roy Williams... This is fair. I mean, this is totally brain? fair. I, Where it's like, which that means... That is shocking. Yeah, if, he, if he's actually a really good player, then that does lend credence to this whole thing. If they, they just didn't know what they were doing last year with the defense and all of that. And and I just... Hey, you played a lot more football than I did. And just, I mean, I, I understand that it can be complicated. There's no way it's that complicated. No way. And maybe I, say, and I just this, thought, I, I fully no, acknowledge that I am that I am potentially like making myself look like an idiot. But there's just I'm sorry. There's no way it's that hard. Just not. Well, no. I mean, like Brent Venables does have a a difficult scheme whenever it's fully implemented, from what I've heard or understood. But they weren't running anywhere near the full thing last year. Are you kidding me? I mean, OU was was busting simple cover two and cover three uh, coverages in the secondary, the easiest, most basic coverages. They were just they were busting them. They know what they have to do. I will say this. I guess gives me a little hope that maybe Harrington actually is not a dud. Is the aforementioned earlier in the podcast, Deshaun White, who played that position last year and looked better than he's ever looked in college. Maybe weirdly the cheetah position is the easiest position to play on the field or something in this defense. And because it made Deshaun White play his best football of his career. I guess maybe that could make Justin Harrington play the best football of his career. Granted, he has to stay healthy. It's weird how all the best players, you never hear about them like having to get it or struggling with concepts and stuff like that. They just step in and they're good. I've heard Josiah Wagner is really good. Doesn't sound like he's struggling to pick up the defense. Yeah. So, yeah, major one, Harrington two, and then three is Key Lawrence. But it's just because, like you said, we have seen a lot of him, and I think your reasoning is fair because we've seen a lot of him, and it's similar to... Um, I guess Harrington and Major, like I've seen a lot of them, and he's not very good. But I, I still, I mean, key to me is just he's fine. Like I'd prefer if somebody else was out there, but somebody's got to beat him out, and he still plays a lot of snaps. And I, I think he'll get some snaps, but I prefer a faster, younger, better player to take a spot. Which, key Lawrence you know, and Justin not, Harrington yeah. look great in their uniforms. <laughs> yes, they do. Yes, they do. All right, so that's us being jerks. I'm sure that's not the last time we're going to be throwing shade at OU players. Yeah, I don't. I was. I see. That's that's the thing I do kind of want to get away from. Like, I feel like I was. I was a pretty big jerk to Jaden Gibson last week too. I don't. I don't really like doing that. I'm kind of. You see, sometimes passion can kind of kind of take you in places you don't really like. And uh, I don't. Know, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't wish any ill will against any of these guys. It's just I'm trying my best to yeah, call them like right. I see them. I don't think anybody. Which is an ill will. I'm actually glad you brought up Jaden Gibson because I actually had some thoughts on Jaden Gibson because I know he was he was kind of in the news around the OU beat this past week. I mean, he had that, and I gotta say, yeah, go for it. Like I get like positive developments on the Jaden Gibson front. You know, since our last show, like he had a lot of really nice things to say personally. He said that he he wants to be a more cerebral football player. He's taken steps forward in that, and he's figured out more of the mental side of the game. He's made a big jump, it sounds like, in his head from year one to year two. 
We heard Jeff Levy say that Gibson's a completely different person now than he was when he got on campus for the first time, and that he's developed a lot of trust with the coaching staff. So good stuff from Jeff Levy, good stuff from Jaden Gibson. I, I love Jaden Gibson's body. I love his skill set. I want him to be great. He's one of the reasons why I, I'd like to not be that worried about the wide receiver core. Him and Nick Anderson, honestly. I mean, both those guys are kind of like big body type players. But here's the thing. The whole uh, Lebby talked about how he's developed a lot of trust, Jaden Gibson has, and with the coaching staff and everything. And I was like, oh, this sounds pretty good. And then later, he was asked about LV Bunkley Shelton. He said the same kind of things about LV Bunkley Shelton. And that dude's like been invisible. And it made me kind of think, oh, no, does he just say the same thing about these guys because it's a canned answer and he doesn't really mean it? So how much stock can I put into the Jaden Gibson thing now? Because. I mean, unless L.V. Bunkley Shelton's going to all of a sudden be a be a dude, which I hope so. That'd be great. That'd be awesome. But, I mean, you know Levy. I mean, they're only going to play like four or five receivers, if that. So maybe he's hey, just he said kind they of... play six or seven, though, right? He's probably he's saying like, oh, the same stuff or seven guys. They're only going to be able to do that if they slow down. Yeah. But, so, yeah, I, but... I do want to say the Jaden Gibson bit, they, I know the – the the video is going around last week of of him with the media availability after practice last week and yeah i mean i very impressive um some really heady really impressive responses for him uh, very thoughtful it was just i yeah it's it's hard it was hard not i obviously i'm really rooting for the guy he's a guy i mean i thought him and jaron canick were 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 the two best players in that in that class last year based off their high school film so um I, you know, I, I'm very much rooting for Jaden Gibson. Those are, I, if, if any, if anybody hasn't seen that video of him at practice last week, try to, try to go find that just very, um, you don't see thoughtful answers like that from, from 19 year old kids very often and perspective like that. So I, I thought it was very impressive. All right. The last prompt we have, it's not even a question. So we're done with the questions, but I want to finish it out with this and we're going to get some of you involved on the West of Everest Facebook page. I posted this statement to the West of Everest Facebook page. Finish this sentence. If blank has an All-American type season, OU goes at least 10-2 and two in the regular season. I mean, should we remove one player from this because it's obvious? Dylan Gabriel? Yeah, I mean, if Dylan Gabriel is an, is an, plays at an All-American type level this season, they're going to be a lot better than 10 and 2 okay yeah we can take away dylan gabriel that's a good point yeah i mean they're gonna if, if dylan gabriel is an all-american quarterback this year they're gonna go to the playoff i think everybody mm, eh, maybe i don't know okay so taking away dylan gabriel i'll go with i'll go with danny stutzman if danny stutzman plays like an all-american OU wins at least 10 games i think elite linebacker play in the middle of this defense would go a long way to steady everybody else out on paper. Like that's Venables' position group. Puts a lot of stock in the linebackers. Not a difficult schedule. So I'll go right in the heart of the defense. I'll go Danny Stutzman. If he's an All-American type player, Oklahoma can win 10 games in the regular season. I got a list of players here. I mean, I started with Gabriel at the top. That was the obvious one. But So I'm going to go to the defensive side of the ball too as well, Lee. And I'm going to... I'm go uh, at a level of the defense below yours. I'm going to say Rondell Bothroyd. If he plays at an All-American level, which I'm not expecting at all, 
um, then I, I think it's a pretty good bet that OU is going to be at least 10-2. and two. If they have an All-American-level defensive end, that's, that's going to help them out a whole lot. Any sort of All-American-level defensive lineman. That's good. Looking at the West of Evers Facebook page, our friend Harry has a, a couple of couple of names. He he uses Rondell Bothroyd as well, and he also includes a picture of him and Rondell. Now they're they're best buds now. Also, Harry says Dylan Gabriel, so that's we're taking him out. But your head's in the right spot there, Harry. Philip goes ahead and uh, goes with an entire unit, offensive line. The offensive line is well, yeah. If the entire offensive line is a bunch of All Americans, Philip, that would be awesome. <laughs> That's the one area, man. That's yeah. the. It seems like I mean, if you pay attention to that stuff, that is clearly the unit that the coaching staff is the most confident in, and and like it's it's very easy for me to make that leap because OU's OU has had a good to great offensive line for about ten consecutive seasons, so I. It's it's not much of a stretch to think that they're going to be really good on the offensive line. No, not at all. Uh, Phillips says a good offensive line would keep the defense off the field as opposed to last year, establish that running game, and you give Dylan Gabriel more time. Nathan says if Stutzman or Billy Bowman play like All-Americans this year, OU will win at least 10 games in the regular season. Billy Bowman's another good one. Actually, you know what? Justin Harrington's a good one. Justin Harrington's an All-American. Yeah, they're going to the playoff. <laughs> oh, like, I mean, yeah, that'd be big that's, time. That's kind of I would the same. Say, I'd say Billy if, if Bowman. Marcus Major is an All-American. <laughs> no, I've already said. Yeah, Marcus Major, he's yeah. going to win that. He's going to win the Heisman, and they're winning the national championship. But, um, no, I think I think Billy Bowman is, pick any of the play, is, is the is the most likely of all the players to be an All-American on the roster right now. He needs to stay healthy. I mean, that. That guy's got. Hopefully, he doesn't get banged up. Weirdly, I mean, like, it was a kickoff or whatever. It was a weird, stupid freak thing, and he was back. Yeah, three weeks later, it wasn't he was the same. Banged, nicked up all year, though. Yeah, it wasn't the same. Shane says if Javante Barnes and Gavin Sawchuk play like all Americans this year, OU will win at least ten games. Shane also says, "Welcome back." Well, thank you, Shane. Uh, Warren <laughs> Warren says, "Insert name of D lineman." <laughs> Just, if if any defensive lineman plays like an All American, OU wins at least ten games. Uh, that's fair. I think totally the one fair. that I mean, I, I think we'd probably prefer an interior guy to be not because Man. that mean I mean that if if you have an All American interior guy, that means your run defense is awesome, essentially. Yeah, and also you could hope that you're you can recruit more of those guys. You're like, hey, look, we put this guy in the NFL. He's an All American. We can get some more big body guys up front. They are not going to have an all-american player on the defensive line that'd be cool though <laughs> shelly says dylan gabriel hayden says jaleel farouk drake stoops if those guys are all-american type players i mean you love yourself some wide receivers grant you know if the receivers the pick is because we know the depth it's andrell anthony is the pick that's the x factor i'm sorry we we, we know who farouk and stoops are and lastly this is uh this would be quite something if this guy's an All-American. Caleb says, Austin Stogner, perhaps. You're, yes, <laughs> that would be a big one. If Austin Stogner is good enough to be on an All-American team, that means, that means he had an amazing, I mean, absolutely incredible season, which means he's, just, he's catching touchdown passes over the middle left and right. 
Uh, but if he's catching touchdown passes over the middle, that means they're probably enthroned by Jackson Arnold because Dylan Gabriel is allergic to the middle of the field. All right, here's what we're going to do for right now. We've gone about an hour and a half-ish. We have a lot more left to talk about. What I want to do is I'm going to cut this off right now. That's going to be an entire separate podcast. And we're going to have another podcast. We'll release them like in consecutive days. So it'll be this week. And I'm going to tease ahead to what we're talking about in the next podcast. That's going to come out the next day. Looks like you have some prompts here talking about the Big 12. And oh, more Ted Roof. More Ted Roof and OU talk. Also, a Big 12 season preview about Brent Venables needing to show proof. Sorry, you wrote this. I'm, I'm not doing a good job of teasing this stuff. <laughs> what we're going to do in the next episode, Lee, is we're going to try to try to do what we did in last year's preview pod. I'm going to bring up some narratives um, nationally for OU, and I am going to try, and we are going to try to poke holes in them. Ah, okay. So we're, we are going to bring it back to similar to last year. Okay, so we'll do that. We'll talk more OU, obviously. We'll talk more... Uh, a little bit more about the big, I guess not, we haven't talked about the Big 12 really. We'll talk about the Big 12 for the first time really since we've kind of come back a little bit. Uh, we got some conference realignment talk. I know some of you have mentioned on Facebook and Twitter asking for some conference realignment talk. We haven't kind of uh, chimed in on that yet since we've been back on the podcast. Uh, you're, we're going to talk about, oh yeah, David Stone. We haven't talked about David Stone yet. We got, so anyways, all of that's coming up. I'll just say tomorrow. So I'm going to plan on releasing them in consecutive days. That way, we're not going to have a two and a half hour, three hour long podcast in your feed. It'll be broken up into two different ones. By the way, we're also going to pick games for week one, but I wouldn't put a lot of stock into them because I have not even cracked a book yet to look at even what the week one matchups are. Which means it'll be your, it'll it'll be be your best year. All right. So until next time, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to the show. And if you want to help us spread the word, please leave us a five-star review. And also, tell all of your friends who are OU fans about West of Everest. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.